Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn how Zenium's helping small and medium-sized organizations with their HR and payroll and benefits so they can continue to focus on their mission and serving their community. Go to zeniumhr.com to learn more. I had a really fun discussion today. My guest is Anitra St. Hilaire. Anitra has a phenomenal career. She's had titles such as Chief People Officer, VP of HR, and VP of People over the years. She's with 3Flow as their VP of People. And we talk about the biggest challenge for HR leaders, how to create equity with remote work, perks and benefits that people are desiring. And then I dive in and ask her about her amazing 15 plus year career in HR and just the things that she's experienced and how she's built out teams in the past. I think you're going to really enjoy this perspective from an amazing HR leader. Had a really fun discussion with Anitra. So I hope you enjoy it. Make sure to connect with Anitra on LinkedIn and other social media channels and make sure to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and all those places. So love connecting with listeners and hearing how you're liking the show. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Anitra, it is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. You've got an amazing background. You've been a chief people officer, a VP of HR, VP of people over the years, and countless other HR roles. What's a lesson that you've learned in all of these HR leadership type roles? And you've had many roles over the years, but I'm curious if something pops out as far as like a lesson that you've learned. It's a great question. I think I've learned a lot, but when I think of big momentous things, for me, it's about being values aligned with the company. Think of my role as an organizational steward, and I'm here for the company, which consists of both the people that are in it, the managers, and then the business itself. And doing that in a role like mine, if you are not really closely aligned with the company's values, it makes your job very difficult because there are so many times when you have to put not so much yourself on the line, but being an empathetic and authentic leader requires you to have a lot of integrity with who you are. And when that gets out of sync, then that's when you start to become like a mouthpiece for the company. And that's not quite the same as someone who is, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm enjoying being here and it's the right thing. And so in a role, I think like mine, finding a place where the values of the company really speak to you. And when you have to make those super tough decisions, because your values align, you can kind of live and stand on that in a way that I think is really difficult when, when you're not. Absolutely. I'm also curious, just based on what you said there, HR functions and a lot of HR people want to have a seat at the table. And your roles as chief people officer, VP of HR, VP of people, are you on the executive team where you get to help make those decisions about values and how that trickles down throughout the organization? I am. So I've been lucky in the past 
three organizations I've worked at to be a member of the executive team and uh, also having really good relationships with the co-founders. Because I think both when you're looking at particularly startups, and these are companies created by people who have a value set that they want to insert into their company, that they that's part of the reason they have the company, being able to really have those heart-to-heart authentic conversations with someone about what it is they want to do and then acknowledging why that might be hard or why this is in my heart, but I know it's not exactly right. So help me figure it out. I think having that relationship and knowing, again, back to the values point that we're trying to aim for the same outcome makes it so much easier to have some of those difficult and honest conversations about things that can be really tricky when it comes to decision-making. For HR leaders who might be listening to this podcast who aren't at the table, meaning like they probably are the mouthpiece for the executive team. And what advice would you give to them? You know, like if they want more influence with the executive team and can be able to help make some of these decisions and make lasting change from a value standpoint, what would you say to them? Oh, that's a good question. I think it starts with knowing the audience. And I don't mean that in a fluffy sort of way, but if you are not closely related to your executive team, you're hopefully closely related to the people of the organization. And so really being able to speak to the pulse of the company, and while it's always helpful to have data from things like engagement surveys, um, anecdotal stories, and being able to tell the story of what is happening on the ground can make you incredibly valuable, particularly when you use that information, plus what's going on sort of in the world at large. And that can be what's happening in your industry, what's happening socially and and publicly in the news, making those connections to say, hmm, I know we have a relatively young workforce. I know there's a lot of talk about student loan forgiveness right now. And I think we might want to be considering path X when you can sort of link those things together where I have knowledge, I have information, and I have a point of view on this. I think that exec teams tend to find that kind of information powerful and and compelling to listen to. I have a point of view. Here's how it's going to help the company. And I don't necessarily mean that from a financial perspective. It can be, and that's always helpful. People like to save a company money. But I think if you can talk to, you know, one of our values is X, and this is what I'm seeing from the people here, and here's how I think we can be better living into these values. I think a lot of values-driven organizations We'll value that. Now, not all organizations are values driven. So if you're in a more financially driven org, then you want to lean heavier on the data and the ROI. But I, I think it's knowing the company and what they want and then finding ways for you to bring what's your unique point of view access point and then backing that up with data, whether it be quantitative or qualitative. We were talking offline before we started this conversation. And I personally believe that HR people have been through a lot over the last few years, whether it was like figuring out how to handle COVID, you know, from if you work in person, now you're trying to shift remote or uh, labor shortages, compensation increases, uh, social unrest, and just how to respond to the employees within supporting them. There's just been a lot. Have you personally experienced any sort of burnout uh, or any of your colleagues in the HR profession? Just how plugged in to you are, like in terms of the mindset of the HR professional right now, where are they at? I think a lot of us are tired and our buckets are running on low to empty, perhaps in some cases. I, I think there's also hope 
associated with that. But I think we're at a place, HR professionals, where we are starting to really live into the put your mask on first before helping others. And so I see a lot of initiatives to reminding people about self-care, whatever that means. Uh, For me, it's reading. I have purposely found time to read because it's something I've always enjoyed. And I think it's important to remember to do that. I think HR professionals, we know uh, our jobs can be emotionally draining uh, and they were before COVID. It's just now we're collectively going through something hard. And in some ways that can be helpful because we really do understand and it's a shared experience for all of us, but reminding ourselves and each other that it is okay to say, hey, like, I need to HR myself. I need to take care of myself for a moment. Uh, and, and recognizing that and asking for that space. It, we're, we're human and that's, that's real, but hopefully um, you can find space to do that. Luckily, I work for a company that's really good at giving me that space and flexibility. And I have a wonderful manager who checks in on me and asks how I'm doing. I know not everyone has that. And so sometimes you have to figure out ways to take, take that for yourself. How big of an HR team do you have? Uh, I have four people working with me right now. Yeah. And so how do you make sure that they're getting the space to take care of themselves? Do you do anything to encourage them as as their leader? <laughs> uh, I think if you were to ask them, maybe I'm encouraging them too much in the sense that I think one of my benefits as a leader, it's not the word I wanted, but I think I'm very caring as, as a leader. And so I'm often asking hey, like, how can I help? How are you? And when I see someone, the look on their face says one thing and the words say something else, like, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, but now I'm asking you really, how are you? Because I can see maybe you're not fine and try to create that space through talking. Uh, But I also try to create the space by doing. And so I'm very open to sharing, hey, my son's got like this soccer award thing he's going to, and I'm going to take my time and go to this thing and you'll see me back online later just to also create the, hey, I'm not just telling you to take time for yourself, but I'm reciprocating it. And I think that's important, particularly as an executive, particularly as an HR leader to say like, it's not just you, it's also me. They do yell at me sometimes. Like, when are you taking vacation? And I'm like, well, I will, but also please remember I signed off at two o'clock because I wanted to go talk to my kids, whatever. Usually it's my kids because I have two little ones. Um, But I think just sharing that authenticity that sometimes I'm doing stuff for my family, but also sometimes I'm doing stuff for myself. Like I went to go get my hair done yesterday morning and that's why I wasn't here. And that's okay. Yeah. I love that you're modeling that behavior. And I have always found, you know, with HR professionals or an HR function, they're they're trying to help make sure the managers uh, throughout the organization are doing things consistently. You know, whether it's performance management, their one-on-ones, whatever. And I love that you're probably preaching that to the managers inside your organization and you're modeling that behavior. Do you think it rubs off on on the middle management that you have inside the organization? Are they hopefully behaving the same way? Make it, they're checking in with their people, giving them the space to be authentic and self-care and, and all those things that you probably value? I think yes, but I don't I don't think it's because of me. I think it's actually back to the thing I was saying earlier values and our company and what we believe in. We have four values, one of which is collaborating enthusiastically. And I think part of that is recognizing one another and how do we work well together as colleagues or as manager direct report. And what I've found is people really are, in order to collaborate effectively, you need to partner with people who have the energy and like the brain space and the emotional space to do that work. And so I find that we have managers who are incredibly thoughtful about 
yeah, do you need to take time? They're taking time themselves. I love the managers here because I think they're approaching things with their head, their hands, and their heart. Uh, And that empathetic piece, like actually being thoughtful about what their people need. And it's tough. Like, I know we can't be therapists to folks and people don't want that. And so trying to find that balance between being encouraging, giving people the space that they need and managing people how they want to be managed, because not everybody wants to talk about their life, but everybody needs a moment. And how do you make sure that you're giving everybody that time is something I think our managers are, are keen on noticing. And Nidra, you've worked in the tech industry for a long time, and you've been working in remote roles for a while. There's a lot of competition in terms of the tech space and, and remote work because you can hire talent from anywhere. Where do you think like the biggest challenges facing HR leaders like yourself in the tech industry? I think it's a few things. First thing that comes to mind is this idea of prioritization and balance. There's always so much that we could be doing. There's a lot of important stuff and important and urgent things will get your attention. But how do you find the space to prioritize the important but not urgent so not everything becomes a reactive fire that you're putting out? I know that's something that I feel people are just struggling with all the time. I think another big challenge, I like that word, another big challenge is as remote work becomes more of a thing for people, it's more of an option. Remote work is not the same as in-person work and you can't just replicate what was in person in a remote way. And so really trying to figure out one, is a remote way of life, whether it be remote first or remote friendly, right from my company. And then depending on where I land, how do I need to change our way of working to fit that life? It's complicated and I've been working remotely for over 10 years, and I I certainly have not nailed what that is. Uh, And I know the companies that are now figuring this out for the first time since COVID also haven't quite nailed what that is. But it's a a work in progress and something I think we're going to be dealing with for, for years to come. How have you, like, if you've been working remotely for 10 years, let's say, and then there's organizations who are now going fully remote just because it's either a better way to work or it works for their organization, whatever. What kind of consistent processes have you put in place from equipment, software, just making sure that they're productive in their environments and all their environments are not created equal. We know that, but there's probably some things on the employer side that can be done to make sure that they at least have the bare minimum. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts with onboarding. Uh, And as you think about bringing people into your organization, there's like the literal pieces of equipment. So you've got to have a strong internet connection. How are you thinking about helping someone with that? And I know we're in a world right now where the internet is table table stakes in a lot of places, but it isn't everywhere. But being clear that in order to do remote work in any fashion, you've got to have a strong internet connection, a computer. And so we provide computers to all of our people, uh, laptops, keyboards, and mice, keyboard, mice, make that easier to just do your work in a more ergonomic way, because that's the other thing to think about. Like everyone can work on a laptop, but it's really helpful when you have the peripherals that help make that easier for you. Uh, and then companies providing stipends to help people set up their office. And that looks different for different people. I've been working remotely for a very long time. And so I've got a desk already. Um, I've got a pretty, pretty decent chair. And so what I need to get my office ready is very different than someone who maybe this is their first job and they're working at home with their parents and they don't even have a space to themselves. They might be working out of a closet. Uh, but giving people the tools to set up in the ways that they need can be 
incredibly helpful. Uh, it's something that we do now. Uh, we give everyone $1,000 to set up your office in the way that you need. This is probably a really big question. I don't know how you'll answer, but I'm really curious your perspective on it. So with remote work, your talent pool opens up. You can hire people all over the world, especially in this tech space. You probably want talent that's across the world, right? And working in different time zones and whatnot. That I think the diversity really helps. Compensation though, I'm. how do you handle that? Like when you're in different locations, like how are you thinking about it because there's a labor like the united states labor shortage uh it's hard to find really good talent it's hard to keep people and you have competition that's trying to find the same talent and it's there's a limited pool and they're throwing money around what's your strategy you will hear me say this and i apologize but it does again start with values and i think in this frame it's your compensation philosophy and a company's stance on what's the basic relationship between employer and employee you do stuff and i pay you for it and so that very core stance on how do i do the i pay you for it piece is really important for us we right now have people in the United States, worked at companies where we've had people outside of the U.S. as well. As we think about compensation, it's first, what's the market doing? And we understand that there's a market piece to it. That's that's how the world is working right now. Um, but adding to that, the old world of compensation is you pay people based on the location in which they sit because that's where your business is and that's that's where people are going to come in every day. In the world of remote work, the pool of people that you're looking at has expanded greatly. And so being thoughtful about, well, am I going to pay you based on where you are? Am I going to pay you based on tiers? Am I going to pay one national average for the whole com- for the whole country? They're all relevant depending on what you believe to be true about compensation. And so for us right now, we have a tiered model. If you're in San Francisco or New York, uh, those are very expensive places to live. But we're doing some talking right now about do we want to think about that differently because we know we we're not we don't make the decision on where people live. People live where they are and we don't need people in specific locations for most of our jobs. And so when we think about what's the market and what does that market pay, there is a very clear argument that can be made for national salaries or international salaries. Uh, but there's also a fiscal responsibility piece of this. And as a company being thoughtful about what it means to hire someone in Iowa and what that person can get in the labor market in Iowa versus, uh, I'll go back to San Francisco, it's just a very high cost city. Where do you decide uh, the idea of equity lies and how do you decide what makes sense? And that can be different depending on the role. If I need someone in San Francisco and only San Francisco, then it might make sense to pay San Francisco rates because you're locked in there. But we don't, we don't want to incentivize people to move to or from San Francisco? And how do we really think about what that means for our comp philosophy is something we're actively discussing right now. Benefits and perks. What have you done to adjust for this world that we're in right now? I don't know if I'd say we've done anything to adjust for the world we're in as much as it is being really thoughtful about what we have, who our people are and what they need. So, And it probably changes as the demographic changes to the people, whether it's the, where they're at in their life, I'm, quite frankly, like they have kids versus don't have kids or they have college student loans and they, they need help. Like it runs the gamut of what you could probably offer in terms of a benefits package and perks to your people. I love how you put that. We have people all over the spectrum from a demographic perspective on all of the pillars here. Do you have kids or not? Dead or not? 
Are you financially savvy? Um, people who have health problems who, who don't. And I think really starting with, okay, what does the company want to offer and is able to offer for everyone. And so medical insurance tends to be one of those things. We know that as a company, providing medical insurance is incredibly important and it is much easier and cheaper for people to get it through us than it is for them to find it on their own. And so we think that's a core part of our benefits package. Um, But there are also things that we could offer all kinds of things. And what we're looking at now is we've just rolled out a benefit sentiment survey to our staff to understand what our demographic really does need in terms of additional support. So we've asked every one of our staff members to tell us what would be most impactful to their family, whether it be additional protection through things like voluntary life insurance or critical care insurance. Do they want gym memberships? Do they want mental health support? Uh, Think about things like meditation app, uh, professional development. The group of people we have here at 3Flow now are going to be different than the group of people that I had at any of my old companies. It's different. And so I think asking people is really important. That said, you want to be thoughtful about where you decide to invest because you might have a lot of people who want one or two things. And that's great. You understand if I make this change, it will impact a majority of people, but we can't do everything for the majority. That's not always equitable or right or smart. Not everyone here is going to have children, uh, but we think it's really important to provide parental leave because we know the impact of what that means for the smaller group of people that it affects. And so that balance of thinking through what people want as an input, not as the sole driver, but what people want, how can you be financially responsible? And so it may not be everything, but really looking at your values and the things that you want to make sure you're caring for in an inclusive and equitable way, and then building a benefits platform based on that. I always struggle with benefits in a way because demographics aren't all the same. Everybody's individual. Everybody has different needs. And so I love, I love your point about asking and then find, and then maybe adjusting based on the needs of that. What I struggle with is that there's no cookie cutter way to do this. And I think that's how most employers have treated it. It's like, okay, you got the group health benefit plan. It's got this structure, you get a 401k or whatever, right? So like, it's just a blanket approach. But then now you get into the weeds of everybody has individual needs. At what point does it become like, you know, as an employer, it's impossible to meet the needs of everybody and you give parental leave to, to people who are going to have kids versus I've already had kids and I'm not going to be able to take advantage of this new benefit. That's a real problem. And now it's like, at what point does employers just step back and say, you know what, we're actually just going to pay you more and you figure it out. <laughs> figured out on your own. Have you ever like contemplated that? Yes, actually. Um, And (laughs) it's somebody off along the way. (laughs) That's just quite, quite frankly, the the problem here. I mean, I think there's truth to that. You, you will not make, you cannot meet everyone's needs, period. The end. You cannot meet everyone's needs. Uh, And I had considered at a previous organization, do we just, whatever we're spending on benefits, we can just give that money to every employee. And there is a world where you say that is equity. Everyone gets $15,000 to spend on whatever things they need. And there's a world where I think some companies may go down that path and and just lean on that as equity. But when we think about equity and what that means for people, going back to, again, simple medical insurance, that can become a little bit tricky and complicated. And is spending every dollar the way every dollar on every person equally what we want is our idea of equity. We don't do that from a work perspective. And I worked at a place where we talked about paying everyone the same salary. Everyone's here doing work and we're just going to pay them all the same. There is a 
real feeling of equity in that. But it then sort of starts to clash with other things like we think it's really important for people to have proactive and reactive mental health support. And so I can give everyone the same amount of money and someone can use it all on building a gym in their home and then something catastrophic happens and then they're not, they're not in a place to take care of themselves. And you can say, well, I gave you the money to do that, but you decided to spend it this way and so too bad, so sad. But I don't, I don't think that's how we would want to handle that as a company. And there's a line between being like paternal, paternalistic you should have health insurance and you should have this set of things. And I think companies have a right to sort of make some decisions in that way. But that's why that give everyone the same amount of money and go for it is complicated. I do know, though, there are some companies that are providing these buckets of money. So here is your wellness bucket. If you want to spend it on X or Y or Z, great. But this is for wellness and this is for a remote office setup and this is for some third thing. Uh, And that's a way to kind of thread that needle is we're going to give you some direction. Like you can't go use this on uh, cooking class, but I am going to give you some more um, flexibility in how do I help you meet your needs in the way that you want. And I can see a world in the future where that way of thinking about things, where there are probably some things a company is just going to say, we think it's so important that we're here for you in times of catastrophic need. Therefore, everyone's going to get life insurance. Everyone's going to get medical insurance. Everyone's going to get vision. Like those things deal with your core health and we're going to offer those. And then maybe here is a bucket of money that we're not going to tell you how to spend it other than to say, we think wellness is important. We think an ergonomic workspace is important. We think blah, blah, blah is important. And have you direct them to the specific aspects of that that could be helpful for you? I think that's a great model. I was I was playing the other side of it, just like, hey, just pay people a, a big salary and then they could redirect it. But that's in a perfect world. And you get that that's assuming everybody can make really good financial decisions and, and whatnot. I think the model, what you're describing is beautiful. I just haven't talked to anybody that's actually done it. So I think there's a certain amount of benefits like group health and, and life and some of those things that can be sort of cookie cutter. I think everybody gets it. And then I love the idea of like, here's a bucket of money. You can use it for paid leave. You can use it for a gym membership. You can use it for paying off student loans, like whatever you want to do. But here's a bucket of money, almost like a menu option. Like here's the money, use it however you want within the, this framework, maybe a list of items that you could use it towards. What do you think? I think that's right. And I also think it's helpful. What you sort of lose in that model is without sort of the right tracking, uh, understanding where people are are using it and spending it. Because if you did find almost everyone is using this in this very narrow way, if you were to take those funds and direct them as a company, as opposed to many individuals you know, the power of bigger dollar is meaningful too. And so that's, that's again, why you wouldn't want to give everyone, hey, go find your own health insurance. We know it's going to be better if you pool that with us. And so understanding where people are using their funds and what they need it for can also help you think about what, what you might want to tweak and offer in the future. Uh, so I think that's going to be an important part of it versus just here is bucket O stipend money for do whatever you want. I only got a few minutes with you and I want to, I want to touch on your career um, and just kind of do a couple quick hits. So you were talking about you have four people under you right now in your time being an HR leader. What's like a 
perfect structure and maybe give us context for like how big the organization is from an employee standpoint. And then like, if you have an HR function, what's like, how do you split up those roles and oh, build out your a team? Complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> if it's too, if it's, if we need another podcast around that, we could, we could come have you come back, but I don't know if there's like a quick answer or not. I, I think it's figuring out what are the key pillars that you have to deliver on and how can you leverage different roles to meet those needs. I do think we're moving more towards a world where it's not that there's a perfect structure for here at HR Head. You need someone to do recruiting, someone to do X, someone to do Y. Instead, I think it's really thinking through what are what are sort of the skills? What are the kinds of things? What do we need to get done? And what do we need to get done over this time horizon? And how do I flex a set of people to get that work finished? Uh, I think we're going to be in a world where there are more generalists who can flex a little bit versus um, very, very specific things. Obviously, maybe not obviously, but as you grow bigger, specialization becomes more and more important. But I think certainly for smaller to mid-sized companies, finding people and maybe I have a deeper level of expertise in things like performance and talent management, uh, and someone who works for me has a deeper level of expertise in recruiting, but we both sort of do all the people operations things. But it means that she can lean in when there's this kind of work, and I can lean in where there's that kind of work. I think that is a really helpful way when you're smaller to midsize to get the talent you need and flex how you want, because there will be times when performance and talent management is going to be a really high priority in a certain sort of way where we're doing a lot of projects. And then there are going to be times when we're going to be focused on something else and how do we build that skill um, will be important. Do you ever use consultants or third parties to fill in gaps where you like uh, an employee wouldn't work? Yes. And I think having consultants and, and others to work with you, when you're clear about what it is you need from them, you know that they have that expertise. And depending on the nature of that engagement, how values align they are with your company can be really helpful. I know sometimes people have super long-term consultants. I don't want to get into the world of uh, co-employment and when you should and shouldn't do that. So let's just assume for the moment that we're talking about all the legal ways to do this, being really thoughtful about no, we don't need to make this full-time employee who maybe we have to terminate later, but this is going to fill our spot for right now. We need a super big overhaul of compensation. Get an expert who knows how to do that and who can work within your value structure to make something work. And then thank you. And now it's something that I can pick up and run with on my own. So I think the use of consultants is both smart from a business need perspective and also smart from a compensation perspective because it's a cost you can control it and you can cut it when you're ready, as opposed to a full-time employee who, if you no longer, if you've made a bad decision and don't need them anymore, then you're talking about terminating, which is always awful. If you think back in your HR career, whether you're a leader uh, or just a contributor level role, what's been the biggest challenge or it could be a mistake, could be a pit, like you didn't know what you didn't know. Like what was the aha moment that you wish that you would have knew it was coming? And that you could actually prepare somebody for right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I, I, two things came to mind. I'm going to start with maybe the one that doesn't quite answer your question, but terminating people has always been the biggest challenge of my career. Uh, and I think knowing when I first did it, you don't get better 
at it. It doesn't get easier, but really approaching it with empathy and a great deal of respect for the person on the other end of that call, being with someone on the worst day of their life, uh, or what arguably could be one of the worst days of their lives. um, It's a big deal. Uh, And knowing that, no, you're never going to get better at it. It's always going to be hard. And if it is getting easy and you're not losing a little bit of sleep over it, then I'd be concerned. Um, But just knowing that in advance that this isn't something, I'm never going to feel great doing it. I'm never going to get comfortable, but instead I know how to do it. And I know how to do it in a way that's as empathetic as we can be. And that feels um, manageable. That feels like a thing I can learn is how do you do this with empathy? How do you do this in a values-led way? How do you do it where you can have that person leave holding on to something of themselves again when it's a really tough time? Um, I think the other thing is communication. It's something we're always working on. But even if you have a great rapport with people, being very clear about how you engage with them can be helpful. And so like a very small example of that is uh, we use Slack to communicate with one another. And when I'm reaching out to someone I don't normally talk to in the course of business, I'm always hey, how are you? It's Anitra. This is what I want in the very first Slack message before you even hit like enter. And you do that because when people see my name, they get nervous, even though I don't, I think I'm an easy person to talk to. But right, here comes HR. You don't speak to me. What's happening? What's going on? But I think how, how can we engage with folks in ways that take some of that anxiety out of what can seems sometimes is a nerve wracking, why is this person reaching out? And I think that goes for HR leaders and and all people, but being very thoughtful about communication, particularly in asynchronous environments, you cannot communicate tone. And so being very clear about, hey, no emergency or hey, emergency. And in those times, I try to escalate to the next level of conversation, which is like picking up the phone or, hey, can we get on a call because I have something that's emotional or whatever that I need to talk to you about. But the lesson being getting really good at communicating and having frameworks for communicating and then the little tips of how to not send someone in a spiral because you've reached out to ask them about their weekend just because, and they're like, am I about to be fired? Does that make sense? And I wouldn't do that over Slack anyway. Those are great answers. Last thing, and then I'll let you go. What is the proudest moment of your HR career? You know, I, I think it's getting this job. And the reason for that is I was consulting for a while and I was really looking for something uh, where I felt my values and the company's values were aligned and where I could be helpful. I know that sounds silly, but that is a very meaningful thing to me. I want to go somewhere where I can be helpful. That was my spiel to people. Like, I want to go somewhere I can be helpful. And getting this role as VP of people at 3Flow, I think I was so authentic and just real in my interview about what I was good at, what I wanted to do, where I knew I was going to need help and support. Recruiting is not my background. This is not something I've done over time, but Here's, here's what I know and here's what I'm willing to commit to. And having uh, the co-founder team and, and the executive team who interviewed me look at me and say, yeah, we believe in this person. I felt I'd finally gotten to a place in my career where I had enough expertise uh, and enough experience to tell a compelling story from a work perspective, but also just being able to be my authentic, silly, honest you know, leading with my heart self um, and being seen in that, being seen for my flaws and for the things I bring to the table. Um, I, I felt felt like an adult. I felt like an adult. And so that is my hope for all of your listeners too, that uh, they get to a point in their career where 
who they are is not seen as a detriment, but just as, as part of the package and being able to be at a place where, yes, we're all going to have flaws, but where those flaws are accepted and where I feel like people are helping me to develop into a better version of me, uh, as opposed to I'm hiring you in spite of those flaws. Um, that is, that's my hope for, for all your listeners as well, that they can find that too. Anitra, thank you for being vulnerable and just being so open. I, I kept you long, but this has been such a really fun discussion. I appreciate you. Where can people learn more about you or 3Flow? And, and feel free to mention what 3Flow does. Awesome. So 3Flow is the first benefits placement system. Uh, you should check us out, www.3flow.com. We are hiring. I'm actually looking for a people coordinator right now. Um, I'm very quiet on LinkedIn. I'm working on that. I'm trying to become less private. And this is a great opportunity for me to do that. So I wanted to say thank you to you. I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. My guest today has been Anitra St. Hilaire. Anitra, thank you for being part of Transform Your Workplace. Really fun discussion. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.